Thank you for listening to the Sharon Church Podcast. If you'd like to know more about the church, please visit us at SharonChurch.com. Now we hope you learn from and enjoy today's message. Let's, um, let's go ahead and get our Bibles. We're going to turn to John chapter 19. It'll be on the screen as well, but if you have a Bible or your device, turn to John chapter 19. We're going to continue our study through the book of John. Three weeks left, including today, through the book of John, which we just need to be honest about how amazing of a feat it is. Um, in two more weeks, on June what, 13th, we will have studied an entire book of the Bible that's 21 chapters long as a church. Yeah, we can celebrate that. Many of us, that's the first time that we've read a book of the Bible. And I don't, I don't mean that tongue-in-cheek. I mean, praise the Lord. Like, how awesome is that? You, you haven't read a book uh, since high school. And even then, you didn't read it, right? You cliff-noted it. Uh, but you've, we, we're gonna, we read it. We're going to study this together. Um, kids, again, I'm excited you're here with us. And I believe you can pay attention. No matter what the world tries to tell you, I believe you can. And I believe there's a spirit of God in this room. And if you're a follower of Jesus, it's in you. And sometimes the miracle power of the spirit of God is that it helps eight and nine-year-olds pay attention. Sometimes that miracle is even greater than healing of of a deaf man or blind man, isn't it? So we believe that's true today. Um, So elementary school students, I believe you can do this. I want to invite you to participate, engage in this. Listen, soak it in. It's the word of God written to us. Let's pray over our study together, and then we'll, we'll, um, we'll do it. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift that it is to study your word, that when you, um, Jesus, when you ascended into heaven, um, you did not leave us without, <clears throat> but that you left behind what you called someone greater, and that's the Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, we can read this ancient words from thousands of years ago. And through the power of him, the spirit, God, that we can understand somehow what it is you're saying to us, that you have given us ears to hear what you have for our church. So God, would you open our hearts and minds to it? Um, All ages in the room today, God, open our hearts and minds to this, to your truth through your spirit and your spirit alone. Uh, Take the words of mine that are flesh, uh, turn them into words of spirit and truth today, please, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. John chapter 19 is where we'll be. Um, It is Family Sunday. It's Memorial Day weekend. This past Wednesday night, we had our summer kickoff, which I thought was amazing. A lot of fun. Uh, It was was warm, not too hot, but it was warm. Had a lot of good burgers and hot dogs. Thank you to uh, Russ Barnett and David Arnett for cooking for us. Um, Hundreds of hot dogs and hamburgers. Thank you for that. Um, It was amazing. The team going to Guatemala raised, I don't even know how much right now, but it's a bunch of money they've raised to provide um, to help meet needs while they're in Guatemala. Speaking of Guatemala, Greg and Rachel McGehey have arrived there safely. They left yesterday morning. They've arrived there. Um, They are there. So pray for them over the next two months as they're there trying to figure out languages and study and all that kind of stuff. Be praying for them as they are there for the next uh, couple of months. Today, after church today, is our um, student ministry's redneck pool party, which I feel dirty even saying that from the stage. Uh, But if you see kids um, dressed like rednecks, um, it's because some of them have just came that way. That's just who they are. And then secondly, some are dressed that way on purpose for today. be a blast. So families of students want to invite you to be a part of that too. You get to meet Cody and Micah and just hear some more about their vision um, for the ministry over this next summer. All right, John chapter 19, Jesus now has um, 
given the Last Supper. He has walked his disciples into the Garden of Gethsemane. He has prayed in sweat drops of blood. He has been betrayed by Judas. He's been denied by Peter, and he's been arrested by the authorities. In the beginning of, of John chapter 19, Jesus uh, faces trials or questioning from a number of different leaders, some Roman, right? So some political, uh, some religious, and they're all kind of going after the same thing. What we're learning is that it's the religious leaders who have set Jesus up to the political, the Roman authorities. Uh, the Jewish religious leaders aren't um, authorized to do what they want to do to Jesus, and so they've brought the, the country, the, the politics in uh, with them, and so they're trying to get rid of Jesus because of what he's causing in the community. Now, Jesus is, hasn't been um, outright and bold in, in what he's standing against, but he has been subversive under, kind of under the current, um, pushing against what Rome has stood for, but more importantly than what um, the Jews have come to stand for. They've missed it. And so Jesus is trying to remind them of the truth of who he is and who God is uh, because of that. And so we're going to pick up here in John chapter 19. A lot has happened uh, to get us to this point in John chapter 19. I just want to look at uh, John 19:30, and then I want to set, set the stage for what's happening. John 19, verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he's hanging on the cross. He's been given uh, a drink of sour wine. He said these words, it is finished, which in the, in the Greek is just one word. He says, it is finished. He bowed his head and gave up his spirit. I want to notice a few things here. Uh, he makes this statement, it is finished. Then he bows his head, and then he gives up his spirit. He didn't give up his spirit and then bow his head. He wasn't dead and then fell over. He bowed his head first, which many scholars and commentators are telling us is actually an act of worship. He did this. His body didn't give out. He bowed his head, and he willingly gave up his spirit. John chapter 10, Jesus says that no man takes my life from me, but I have the authority to give it up. I lay it down, and then I will take it back up again. This is showing us the power of Jesus. I don't know how many of you are puzzle people. Anybody do puzzles? Are you puzzle people? Uh, um, uh, we're old, and so we're puzzle people. Uh, our kids are puzzle people growing up when they're little, and then they, they kind of get out of that. Then they're electronic puzzle people, and then, then they get older and realize it's just nice to sit and do a puzzle. Then you get really old, and then that's all you do. You sit and do puzzles and crosswords. And uh, We're puzzle people. I grew up in a family who loves to do puzzles, particularly around holidays. So Thanksgiving and Christmas, my mom would always buy a puzzle. Um, what we're learning here in Scripture, John chapter 19 I want us to walk through with that idea of a puzzle in mind. John 19, 30, Jesus is giving us the box, the picture of the puzzle, okay? He's giving us the finished picture of the puzzle. When Jesus says it is finished, this is the picture on the box of the puzzle. And we all know what that's for. That's to stand up in front of you while you tried to build the puzzle, isn't it? You want to see the picture to know what it is that you are building. Well, if that's the finished picture of the puzzle... What are the pieces, and then how do we put this puzzle back together again? Well, I want to take us all the way back to Genesis, because I want to set up for us how we've gotten to where we've gotten in John chapter 19, verse 30. You ever been watching those shows uh, where you come in kind of halfway through the movie or through the show? Quentin Tarantino does this really well. I, I haven't seen Tarantino movies. I'm just saying I've heard about them. I've heard. Uh, but there's a, you, you see a clip. 
And then you have to backtrack to figure out here's how they got here, right? If sometimes even the, the actor himself says, I bet you're wondering how I got here. And then you'll see. So then there's, you have to backtrack. This is what's happening here in John chapter 19. John is cluing us in with some key words to let us know what he means by this. But I want to take us all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, God creates the world. Everything is as it should be. At the end of each day, God says that it is good. At the end of the sixth day, when God creates man, he says it is very good. And then on the seventh day, he rests. So we find Adam and Eve in the middle of the Garden of Eden. Everything is perfect. It is as it should be. Uh, the fruit is amazing. The trees are beautiful. Um, animals are doing what they're supposed to do. Adam and Eve are doing what they're supposed to do. And they can take advantage of all the goodness of God. Inside this Garden of Eden is a tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And it's the one thing God said, do not touch this tree. Because if you do, you will taste death. You'll surely die. The serpent, um, who we've come to know as the devil, makes his appearance, speaks to Eve, and says, no, 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 you're not going to die. You should have some of this. Look how great it is. And so Eve is deceived by the serpent, takes some of the fruit, and that's the first sin, the root sin of man happens there in Genesis chapter 3. We call it the fall of man. So they fall. Uh, Adam then partakes of this fruit. They find themselves, they recognize that they are naked and they are ashamed for the first time of their nakedness, of their vulnerability. And so in uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, tells us this, that the eyes of both, Adam and Eve, were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So they recognize their separation from each other, recognize their separation from God. But they recognize that there was something that made them different, made them distinct. And so they made loincloths out of fig leaves to cover themselves up. I, I'm just thankful that we have progressed in, in how we feel about undergarments, because that does not sound comfortable. Uh, but they've, they made fig leaves to cover themselves up. God meets them in the garden in the cool of the day. He has a conversation with them uh, curses the enemy, curses the serpent, says you will forever be on your belly, uh, serpent. He says that you will come and you will bite the heel of the offspring, uh, but he will crush your head. From there, he curses Eve and curses Adam. But Genesis chapter 3, 21, the Lord steps in and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So the beginning of the Bible begins perfection, then there's a fall, there's sin that creates separation from mankind and from God. And mankind decides they have a way to fix the separation and they make loincloths out of fig leaves. Now, fig leaves off the vine aren't going to last very long. God steps in and God creates for them a covering out of animal skin. This is the first evidence we see of God sacrificing life for humanity. He sacrifices animals, he sacrifices an animal to give them covering of skin. Now, this is going to make its way throughout the rest of human history into John chapter 19. This happens here. The next chapter in Genesis chapter 4, Adam and Eve have uh, sons. We know two of them, Cain and Abel. Um, Cain and Abel come to offer sacrifices to, to worship God. We don't know where this came from, what the system is for them, but they bring sacrifices to the Lord. God accepts Abel's offering, which the author of Genesis in chapter 4 tells us is the firstborn of his flock, an animal. 
blood sacrifice, the firstborn of his flock, he sacrifices. Abel, or Cain, then sacrifices from the fruit of the ground, which is supposed to hearken us back to fig leaves from Genesis chapter 3. Cain gives the fig leaves. Abel gives the, the, um, the covering, the animal, the dead animal as the flock firstborn of the flock as a sacrifice. God, we learn in Genesis chapter four, accepts the offering of the firstborn from the flock and rejects the offering of the first fruits of the ground, setting the stage for a number of things to come. Throughout the rest of the Old Testament, now we meet Abraham and Isaac. What we're getting is we're getting pieces of the puzzle that are meant to give us this picture at the end when Jesus says in John 19, 30, it is finished. Well, what is finished? We're learning, we're picking up pieces of the puzzle. We meet Abraham and Isaac. Abraham um, called by God to be the father of many nations through his son Isaac. And God calls Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on a mountain. And a, a sacrifice is provided through a ram. We meet Jacob and Esau. We come in contact with Joseph. We meet Moses. In Moses, we find out that God's name is I am. In the book of John, Jesus would repeat seven different times that I am. Moses has come to set the people of God free from slavery in Egypt. It's the book of Exodus, meaning exit or deliverance. Exodus, the second book of the Bible, points to uh, this person of Jesus. Moses uh, goes into Egypt to set God's people free from slavery. A number of plagues happen, 10 to be exact. The 10th one is called the plague of the firstborn, in which to set uh, God's people free God called them to sacrifice a lamb that they would have in their home for four days, sacrifice this lamb, take the blood on the doorposts of the house, both horizontal and vertical on their house. This would be called the Passover. If the blood was on their doorpost, the angel of death would pass over their homes and their, their son would be spared. This is what's called the Passover. We would then get the moral law and the Ten Commandments. We would uh, construct a tabernacle through a tent and then into a temple. We would get the temple system. Then we would get into Leviticus. And in the glowingly optimistic book of Leviticus um, is, is this sacrificial system in which we learn about the priesthood. We learn about the high priest and those who would offer sacrifices for sins. We get the sacrificial system. Leviticus chapter 17, verse 11 says that for the life of the flesh is in the blood and this is I, God, have given it to you, mankind, on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. All that is built on Genesis chapter 3, where they wanted fig leaves and God gave them animal coverings. It's built on Genesis chapter 4, where God accepted the offering of the firstborn of the flock, the blood sacrifice, but not the one from Cain of the ground. In fact, in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 9, the author of Hebrews says that under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Sacrificial system put in place, reminding us that with the shedding of blood is how we find the forgiveness of sins. And this would happen annually in a feast called Passover, which was built on the Passover uh, from the Exodus with Moses leading his people out. From there, then, God builds what we know as the feast, the feast by which to celebrate the goodness of God, namely of which was the feast of the Passover. 
We find the Israelites wandering in the wilderness. We find the promised land, crossing over the river Jordan into the land that God had promised them. We meet the judges, judges who are just corrupt leaders uh, leading at this point. We meet a woman by the name of Ruth, and the book of Ruth in which um, the, the hero of the story is a man who is their redeemer, their kinsman redeemer. We then get into kings because the people of God wanted a king like every other nation had a king. And God said, you don't want a king. And they said, we do want a king. And God said, no, you don't. And they said, yes, we do. We know what's best. And God said, fine, have it your way. And he gave them a king and they chose the king named Saul because of how he looked. Over time, the corruption seeped into Saul's heart and then God gave them a new king, one they didn't see coming, one that his own father didn't see coming by the name of David. David um, would rise to power. David would write the Psalms, particularly Psalms like Psalm 22 and Psalm 69, which point to the coming of a Messiah. After the Psalms, we meet Isaiah and the rest of the prophets. In the Old Testament, we're getting all the pieces of the puzzle. When Jesus says in John chapter 19, verse 30, it is finished, what he's saying is this is the picture. All of these pieces I've given you from the first page of the Bible, Everything I've given you from Genesis 1 to now are the pieces of the puzzle that will build this beautiful picture, and it is finished. This is the final piece of the puzzle. From the Old Testament and the prophets, we then turn the page into the New Testament, this new covenant, starting with the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy of Jesus, which gives us even more pieces to the puzzle, pieces we didn't see coming. Pieces that we would have never thought belonged in this puzzle. In the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. Jesus has uh, been born. He's fulfilled now close to 300 prophecies of the Old Testament. An important one being that he was born in the town of Bethlehem. Born there, raised um, by his earthly parents. The age of 30 or so begins his ministry. And John has been cluing us in on um, how important this calendar is and the feasts, right? We've talked about the Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. We've talked about a number of them. But John, the key things he gives us is the Passover to let us know where we are in the story. John chapter 19, Jesus and his disciples have entered Jerusalem to celebrate their third Passover together. It's Passover time. It's time in which the people of God celebrate the deliverance that they were given from slavery in Egypt through the blood of a Passover lamb that they would have in their home for four days. Jesus comes into Jerusalem on what we call Palm Sunday with the cries of Hosanna, save us, save us now. Four days later, he would be arrested and crucified. God has given us pieces of the puzzle. And in John chapter 19, verse 30, what Jesus says is the puzzle has been put together. This is the picture I've been painting all along. It's Passover in Jerusalem. People have gathered and brought their Passover lambs. The brook Kidron is full of the blood of the Passover lambs coming from the temple. It harkens us back to the Exodus, which harkens us back to Genesis, which reminds us that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there is no forgiveness of sin. The priestly system has been put in place and Jesus has stepped in. 
So with that in mind, let's look at a few different passages from John chapter 19. I wanna show you a few things that God has done and that John's trying to remind us that he has done. John chapter 19, verse 23. When the soldiers had crucified, had murdered Jesus on the cross, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier and also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in peace from top to bottom. And so they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. Then John says, this was to, and what's the word? Fulfill. To fully fill the scripture, which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. If you're taking notes, that's from Psalm 22, 18. There were prophecies in the Old Testament that Jesus has fulfilled. Some of them are crucial um, to who he is, to our, to our forgiveness and remission of our sins. It's interesting the ones that John chooses, though, here in John chapter 19. So that's one. Look at verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. This is fulfilling Psalm 69, verse 21, in which uh, it was prophesied that the Messiah would ask for a drink. John chapter 19, look at verses 36 and 37. For these things took place. So they've come around, Jesus is hanging, and tradition would have been that um, they would have broken the legs of those hanging on the cross so they would die more quickly. It would take a long time for the air to evaporate from their lungs, so they would break their legs so that the soldiers could finally go home. But they came around and did not break Jesus' legs because he was already dead. These things took place that Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken. They've pierced his side with a spear. Verse 37, again, another Scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. This is from Psalm 34 and Zechariah 12. John's letting us in on something. There's been a fulfillment with all of these pieces. What's interesting is that if none of these things happen, if the soldiers don't gamble for his clothes, if they do tear his garment, if he doesn't ask for a drink, if he doesn't get pierced in the side, if they do break his bones, it doesn't change anything for us, does it? Jesus still dies. The blood is still poured out. He still resurrects from the grave uh, that following Easter Sunday. It doesn't change anything for us. But John is letting us in on something. There has been fulfillment of all that God had said. Towards the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he gave what's called the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And there was some disagreement among the Jews that this Jesus, this Messiah, couldn't be the Messiah because he's actually doing away with all the Old Testament. And in his sermon in Matthew 17, 5, verse 17, Jesus says, do not think that I have come to abolish or do away with or destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them, to fully fill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Then verse 20, for I tell you this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Jesus did not come to abolish the law and the prophets. He did not come to throw away the pieces of the puzzle. He did not come to bring a new puzzle. He came to put it all together. He came to fulfill every dot, every iota of the law and the prophets to the point of even if your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you still can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Even the demand of holiness from the Lord, Jesus isn't giving up on. Even that he's not abolishing. Instead, he is fully filling it. He is fulfilling it, which is what takes us to John chapter 19, verse 30. When he had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. When Jesus gives up his life, this is a cry of worship and a cry of victory. It's finished. To telestai, it is finished. And he stands on the cross, crucified. He who knew no, no sin became sin on our behalf that we might be, find the righteousness of God. This is the good news of Jesus. And if all has been fulfilled, then it is finished. The point John's trying to let us know is everything has been checked now. Every piece has been found. The border has been built. It's been filled in. The puzzle is fully filled. There's not a piece lacking. There's not one on the floor, not one your dog ate, not one you're going to find later in your one-year-old's diaper. That's not what's happened. It's fully filled. Every piece where it is meant to be that we might step back and gaze upon the beauty of the puzzle of the word of God, of the plan of salvation. It's not abolished. It's not destroyed. He didn't start a new puzzle, but it's been fulfilled. It's not swept under the rug. It's not lied about. It's not watered down. It is fully filled. And if all has been fulfilled, then it is finished. Um, we have three kids, and um, one of them always eats dinner well, two of them sometimes, and one of them just does not. Anybody have kids like that? McGowan's, I know you have one. Right, we all have kids. We have kids who maybe just don't eat as well as the rest of them. I am a very good eater, and so I do eat all of my dinner. Uh, but we have one who just, who, who, he won't. He just doesn't like it. It's an inconvenience for him to eat. Anybody feel that way? Like, I, I would just rather not. There are other things I would rather be doing. For me, it's an inconvenience not to eat. I would rather be eating than doing most of the things that I do throughout the day. Um, but that's him. And so we'll say, hey, you, you are finished. You say, how, how many more bites until I'm done? And I'll say, well, just finish your plate, and then you're done. He'll take three more bites and say, well, now am I done? No, because there's still macaroni on your plate. And on top of that, you like all of these things on your plate. You like all of them. I'm not asking you to eat broccoli. I'm asking you to eat um, fake food. <laughs> eat that. They've made it so that it tastes good. Eat that. That's all I'm asking. Get something into your system. He'll take a few more bites. Well, now am I done? No, you're not done because there's still food. There's still things left to be eaten. And then he'll say, well, I'm just full. And I'll say, all right, then um, we'll just have the Oreos later. Oh, oh no, I, I can still have Oreos. I thought you said you were full. No, no, I'm full from dinner. I'm not dessert full. I'm dinner full. When Jesus says that it is finished, and to be finished, it has to be fulfilled, there's nothing left on the plate. Does that make sense? There's nothing left. There's no pieces left for us to pick up. He's done it all. 
There's nothing left for us to figure out, nothing us to atone for, nothing for us to apologize for, nothing for us to figure out. It's finished. It's done. He's eaten it all. He did not let that cup pass from him. He has fully drank even the wrath of God that all might be fulfilled. Well, if all has been fulfilled and it is finished, what is true then is if it is finished, then we are forgiven. If it is truly finished, then we are forgiven. And listen, if you ever doubt your forgiveness, I want you to remember what John has told us in John chapter 19. They didn't break his bones. They pierced him in the side. They didn't tear his cloak. You doubt your forgiveness? You doubt that it's full and paid for? Jesus went even to greater lengths than you can ever imagine. And John's letting us know. You know, want to know what details I've covered for you so that you would know for sure that Jesus is who he says he is and that his work is finished on the cross? These little things that mean nothing. They're minute They seem to matter not at all to our salvation, even those things he fulfilled. So yeah, it's covered. Yeah, but what about, you don't know about, it's covered. It's covered. His bones weren't broken. If he can handle that detail, he can surely handle whatever it is you're going to throw at him. Yeah, but in the future I might. Did you know that when Jesus died on the cross, every single one of your sins were future sins? When Jesus died on the cross in 30 BC, whatever, whenever he died on the cross, you and I weren't even born yet. When he died on that cross, he paid for the sins that you would commit, knowing they were coming. It's fulfilled. If it is fulfilled, it is finished. If it is finished, then we are forgiven. The author of Hebrews says it this way in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 11. Every priest stands daily at his service repeatedly offering the same sacrifices, which can never fully take away sins. Author of Hebrews has taken us back to the sacrificial system, the priest system, in which a high priest would have to stand all day long during his shift because there was never a time that he could sit down and rest from offering sacrifices. Why? Because people kept sinning. More and more had to come. But even those sacrifices never fully took away sins. It just covered them for a season. Verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down. Why? His work is finished. No more sacrifices left to be made. He's done. He can rest because there are no more left. Single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. I want to follow that Jesus who puts his feet on the enemy as a footstool, like just to recline and relax. 14, for by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. At the cross of Jesus, when he said in his finished, you understand you and I were made perfect then? Blameless and holy in the sight of God. For all time. So for those of us who are following Jesus, we are no longer who we used to be. Our hearts are no longer wicked and dirty. Our hearts are clean and pure. Now, do we still struggle? Yes, because we are being sanctified. But yet, we are perfect. We are not lacking in 
anything, we are complete and whole before a holy God. For all time. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. And then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. If you've ever been taught that when you get to heaven, you will stand before God and you will have to give an account for all of the sins that you've committed in your life, that is a lie from the enemy. No, you won't. You will not because he will remember our lawless deeds no more. And when we stand face to face with Jesus in glory, he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And he will wrap his arms around us, dirt and all. And he will say, you're home. I don't remember them. Verse 18, for where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. So whatever guilt is compelling you that, oh, I got to do this, I got to do this better, I got to offer these sacrifices, I got to burn these things and do these things and stop these things, um, maybe you should, but not as an offering for your sins. That's been covered. It's been covered. There is no more offering for sin. In fact, any offering you give to the Lord are the fig leaves of Adam and Eve. They're not going to cover a thing. And you don't need them. Why cover the animal skin with a fig leaf? It's finished. Then we are forgiven. And if we are forgiven, then we are free. We are a free people. We are not an enslaved people. We are not a bound people. We are a free people. Because it was fulfilled, it is finished Because it is finished, we are forgiven. And if we are forgiven, then we are free. Do you hear it, church? You're free. You're free. You don't owe him anything. You don't owe the Lord anything. The stupid statement that, well, if God gave us his life, then we we must owe him something. You don't owe him anything. He's not asking for money back. He's not saying, well, I did this. Now you're going to give me this with 1% interest. You owe him nothing. He gladly paid the sin debt, willingly. Remember, he laid down his life. No man takes it from him. You don't owe him anything. We are free. There's no debt you owe. Yeah, but last night on my phone, so that's kind of, that's new because when he died, no, 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 listen, that was covered too. What about tomorrow? Yeah, that one too. And in 20 years, that one too. We are set free. Which is why the author of Hebrews continues in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, if we are free, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. You don't have to run off to make more money to pay for the debt. You don't need to get a second job. You don't need to run to, to find someone, to compel someone to, owe, to give you what they owe you so you can give God what you owe him. You don't owe him anything. And because of that, you don't run from God. You run to God. We have confidence into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest, great priest over the house of God, we are free to, verse 22, we are free to draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed in pure 
water. If you are free, then draw near. Stop standing at a distance. You don't owe him distance. You don't have to get it figured out. Draw near now. You've been forgiven because it was fulfilled, and so now you are free. Just draw near. All the way back to the garden in Genesis chapter 1, we were created to be in union with God. You know what your heart is desiring is union with God. It's why you chase the things you chase. It's why I pursue the things I pursue. It's why I want to be loved and accepted in the most desperate ways because inside of my heart is something that knows I am loved or would be loved and accepted by a holy God. You want union with God. You can have it. You want your heart to be at rest. You can have it. You want to be set free from sin. You can have it. You want to um, have the chains of addiction broken for you. You can have it. Come to Jesus. We can draw near. Because we are free, we can draw near with a full assurance of faith. There's nothing left to hide, nothing left to pay for. Secondly, if we're free, verse 23, we can hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering because he who promised is faithful. Why we don't hold fast to the confession of our hope is because we know we are not faithful. Praise the Lord, that doesn't matter. What matters is the faithfulness of God. He who promised is faithful. How faithful is he? His cloak wasn't torn. How faithful is he? His side was pierced. That faithful. That even things that seem insignificant, he's covered. And finally, if we've been set free, let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and to good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, the day of the Lord drawing near. We've been set free. Let us draw near to the Lord. Let us hold the confession of our hope and let us keep gathering together. Why? Because we're free to. If you're ashamed to come into a gathering of the people of God, that's a problem with the people of God. If you're ashamed to come to church to gather with the people of God because of some sin in your life, whether uh, revealed or hidden, that is a lie from the enemy. And church, we need to be people who say, no, 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 come in. Come in. You're free. You're free. Let's not give up meeting together. Come on. Come on. Yes, here. Yes, sit by me. I know you stink. Come sit by me. I know. I know what you're wrestling with. Come sit with me. If we're free, let us draw near to the Lord. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope and let us consider how to stir one another up towards love and to good works by meeting together. Listen, it's been fulfilled. So it's finished. It's been finished. So you and I, we're forgiven. And if we're forgiven, we're free. So we don't draw near to the Lord out of guilt or obligation. We don't cling, white-knuckling our way into hope. And we don't forsake the gathering, nor do we come out of guilt or obligation. We come because we are free. Church, followers of Jesus, we've been set free by the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Isn't it time we live like it? 
Isn't it time that we lay our chains down and start living like it? We're no longer bound, no longer held by those things, not because of us, because of the finished work of Jesus on the cross. So if you're here today and you're, you're wrestling with that, well, am I really, I don't, I don't really know. Take solace to know that back here in, in the book of John, people were questioning if Jesus was who he says he was because they were still under Roman oppression. And John is letting them know, no, 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 it's finished. It just doesn't look how you thought it would look, but it's finished. And you are set free. Are you wrestling with sin? Are you wrestling with compulsion and addiction? Well, the good news is that you have been perfected once and for all while you're being sanctified. We've been set free. Maybe for some of us, the issue is not our freedom, but it's the freedom of other people. The person you're thinking about right now, who you think is never qualified to be forgiven, is never qualified to be set free, praise God, his word says they are. Set them free. Set them free. We have been set free through the forgiveness of Jesus, through the finished work on the cross, through the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. This whole puzzle has been put together. Do you see it? Do you see the finished work on the cross? If you bow your heads and close your eyes and we'll pray together. I just need to ask today, if there's anyone here who has not surrendered to the finished work of Jesus on the cross, that there is um, a conviction in you that rises up, and it rises and falls depending on behavior, but it's, it's present, the conviction that you are far from God. And you've tried to make your way back and you've been a good southern boy or southern girl or, or you've been a good wife or husband. You've tried to do all the right things. You've tried to uh, atone for your past mistakes and it's just, there's no peace. There's no settling in your heart. We need to trust the finished work of Jesus on the cross and not your pithy fig leaves. Is anyone here this morning because they know I, I wanna give my life to you. I wanna trust in the finished work of Jesus that I might be his son or his daughter, I want to confess my sin and then believe that his death on the cross paid for. Anybody this morning in following Jesus, I want to follow Jesus today. Is there anyone here this morning who would just say, you know what, my issue is that I know I'm his, I just don't feel free. I'm overloaded with lies from the enemy, overloaded with um, guilt and shame, and that's hard for me to believe that I'm actually free that you need prayer to actually walk in your freedom. Would you raise your hand? Say, yeah, would you pray for me? I need, to, I need help. Praise the Lord. Hands everywhere. I'm with you. I'm with you. Let me just say to you, it's the ongoing ethic of confession and repentance that reminds you that you are his. Keep confessing. Keep repenting. Keep working one step at a time. Following Jesus. Approach him in confidence. And you're gonna wake up 10 years from now and you can't believe how far you've come. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for the good news of Jesus that has saved us and that is sanctifying us, that the finished work on the cross is the culmination of all history. May we, as your children, never miss it. May we see the pieces for what they are and understand you've orchestrated this whole thing for this very moment. 
the apex of human history, for you say in Romans that at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us, was us. Would you remind us that our hearts are no longer that anymore, but now we are free. And while the enemy tries to remind us of the residue of our past, God, we stand on the, on the bold claim that that's not true. We are forgiven fully, and we are free. In Jesus' name, amen.